The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. everybody. Welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I'm Jason, her son. I'm 17. I write for Boston Brackets, and I just want to go back to school. I know, right? This really does stink. We are stuck in our COVID-19, not a quarantine, but we are a shelter at home. Um, We both love sports, and typically this podcast brings us together to talk sports. And as of the day we are taping this episode, April 2020, We are on day 38 with no sports, so nearly two months without it um, here in the Chicagoland area. uh, Over one month, we've been shelter in place that went into effect uh, March 21st, so it's hard. And we're not we're not going to, you know, pussyfoot around it, dance around it, make it sound, you know, it it is hard. Jason, how are you seeing with ESPN filling their shows like what are they doing? Uh, the only show that I've particularly enjoyed during this is Get Up. Oh, uh, no, not not Get Up. Uh, first Take. Because First Take, you know, it's just Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman arguing. Uh, they have fans, actually, or viewers of the show send in topics. And, you know, those are two hotheads, so they're going to be able to argue on anything. So the quality of the show is is very similar. I've enjoyed the games that have been that have been replayed. I remember a couple days ago I was watching the Lakers Magic Finals, and I'd just never seen any clip from that game before. So it was interesting. Um but after a while, like you get a little tired from it. So I don't think it's a, as much about how to adjust in sports fandom. It's more how to branch out of sports fandom and do other things you enjoy. Because once you get back to sports, you know that sports is really going to consume a lot of your time because it's going to all come back at once. At my station, NBC in Chicago, is doing uh, a lot of this day in history. I know a lot of the stations are doing that, looking back, because you have to try to create some interest. Those are okay to me. Uh, it doesn't really interest me as much. They're doing some feature stories. I really like the FaceTime interviews that they're doing with people in sports today. I like the fact that we are seeing these people that we've already, we've always looked up to, whether they are coaches, athletes, uh, newscasters, sportscasters, announcers, in a very relaxed atmosphere. I like the relaxed FaceTime interviews that everybody's doing. So that that's mine. We missed opening day of baseball and this week would have celebrated Jackie Robinson day across major leagues. Now, a lot of people don't realize that White Sox chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, very instrumental in major league baseball celebrating number 42. Since Mr. Reinsdorf's days growing up in New York, uh, he grew up in Brooklyn, uh, was a huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And at the age of 11, he saw Jackie Robinson break the color barrier. He was at that game in person back in 1947. Um, So because Jason and I on the podcast, we'd like to take a look back. Uh, Let's take a listen back to my conversation with the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, on Chicagoland television back in the 90s um, when he came on my show to talk about number 42, Jackie Robinson. Well, I'm sure this man to your left also grew up a Jackie Robinson fan. You're a Brooklyn native. What are your memories of him? I was there the first day. I was 11 years old, uh, the the first day that Jackie Robinson played for the Dodgers. 
It wasn't opening day of 1947 as has been portrayed, but actually it was a it was a preseason game. The Dodgers always played the Yankees before the start of the season, and they kept Robinson on the Montreal roster up until the last series of the spring, and then they put him on the roster and he played against the Yankees his first game. I was there, uh, and I remember it well, and I remember Jackie Robinson not as a as a Negro ball player, but as one of the greatest ball players I've ever seen. When. Jackie Robinson did play. Uh, you know, we hear reports that you know some of the New York papers didn't even mention it, that it was glossed over. Do you recall that? I mean, I know you were a kid, but do you recall that it was glossed over? Well, it was. There was very, very little mention made of the fact that the, uh, you know, of Robinson's debut, and it was mentioned that he was the first black player, or at that time, I guess they referred to him as a Negro. But they, they did not make a big thing about it. And, and it wasn't the big thing in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, uh, you know, the whites and the blacks all played together and lived together, so it was the perfect place. Uh, and I went back uh, not too long ago and looked at some old newspapers and just, you know, a little paragraph here, a little paragraph there. Why did baseball decide uh, to make such a, a big deal of the Jackie Robinson celebration this year? 25 years ago, they, they also honored Jackie Robinson. But what was baseball thinking when they said, you know, it's time that we do something really big for this man? Well, there, you know, it was, there was also a celebration at the, the 40th anniversary when Peter Uberoth was commissioner. Uh, something was done at that time. And, but the 50th, I mean, you know, there's something in this country about round numbers. And the 50th anniversary, uh, it would have been wrong to have missed that. Is there a responsibility? I know a lot is said that the owners and baseball itself has a responsibility to get more minorities onto the field in, in decision-making positions, you know, besides coaching, uh, including coaching actually, coaching, managing, and front office. Is there a responsibility by every team to do that? Well, I think there's a responsibility on the part of everybody in the United States and the people who are running every business have a responsibility to, to bring all sorts of people into the business, uh, all kinds of minorities, blacks and Latins and Asians and uh, I guess and women are another category of minority and to get them involved and there's no question about it. And I think baseball has done a good job. Uh, uh, you know, graphically for a show there were, there were three uh, black managers out of 28. Well that's not an, an enormous number but it's over 10 percent and the number of blacks in baseball playing in baseball today is only about 16 or 17 percent. So we're, you know, we're not that far from where statistics would indicate you, that you ought to be. And as far as the front offices are concerned, baseball has made huge progress you know, over the last six or seven years. What did you think of Mr. Ryan's story? I thought it was very interesting how supportive he was. I mean, everybody's supportive of Jackie Robinson, but he kind of took that to another level. He was almost offended at how people didn't seem to understand how great of a sacrifice he had made. Right. Which I thought was incredibly, incredibly interesting. And it's one thing almost coming from an African-American or, or a fellow black player because they have a better look into what Jackie Robinson dealt with. But to hear it from, from a t uh, the owner of a team of two sports franchises was really, really interesting and almost moving to me. We went through a time in baseball when uh, there was very low numbers of African-American players um, playing baseball. We have seen some uptick recently because a lot of the teams are putting money into um, the parks and bettering equipment and helping teams out. Um, Tim Anderson is one of those guys who has talked about that recently. Um, do, do you see more of an uptick with uh, African-Americans playing baseball today? I don't know if a single player can make 
an entire demographic pick up a sport at a higher rate. I don't think that that's what's going to happen. But what I do think is going to happen is a player like Tim Anderson is going to make it easier for fellow African-Americans playing baseball throughout the country in pros in the minor leagues, make it a lot easier for them to express themselves because being black in baseball is still a minority. It, it, and it always will be. I think that there are only 60 some black players in the major leagues. So what Tim Anderson is accomplishing by the bat flips and by all, all of like the celebrating and being such a voice in the clubhouse and in the community is he's, almost serving as a role model for every other black player showing it's okay to exert to exert yourself and to be yourself and to be yourself Mm -hmm. right that was a big criticism when he had the bat flip was you know that wasn't right that was bush league that's just who tim anderson is and i think that it's very easy for minorities to get caught up in not wanting to express themselves just because they are the minority so it's so nice to have tim anderson's in this world that'll show everybody that it's okay doesn't matter what color your skin is it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter how long you've been playing as long as you can like you have the courage be yourself and people are going to applaud you for it So let's keep talking about the White Sox and Tim Anderson and who better to to do that than their play-by-play man for the Chicago White Sox, ESPN announcer Jason Benetti is joining us. Good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm tremendous. How are you all? We're trying to get through uh, COVID-19. How are you coping? Uh, I am coping by uh, watching a lot of television and doing some things on Twitter and uh, eating more meals in the house than I have over the past, uh, you know, 10 years or so. What, what are you watching on TV? Are you liking the, the old games they're bringing back? Is there anything you do like about what, how we're trying to fill the sports void here uh, from the networks? You know what? I have watched a lot of YouTube clips of old sporting events just to watch and see how announcers did it back in the day. Um, but mostly I'm just, I'm watching shows that try to, uh, bring a smile to my face. Like I'm, I'm currently, this is the old soul department, but I'm currently rewatching wings, uh, the TV series from the nineties set in Nantucket. So I'm, uh, I'm doing that. I watched Seinfeld all the way through, which is great. <laughs> I am a big, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big better call Saul fan. So every Monday is big for me. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of flipping around and trying to catch up on stuff that I miss. I know it's kind of funny that we've, we've become couch potatoes in a way, but at the same time, it's, it's really fun to, to look back and kind of watch some of the old stuff. Although I will say, Jason, I got hooked on Tiger King. Um, I don't know what I was watching, but, uh, it, it was crazy and tell me you've watched it. I have not. I'm kind of trying to say I'm trying to save that crazy bullet for for later if we get to later on this thing. Oh my gosh, it's just so stupid that you it's it's you you just don't know what you're watching. And at the end that's what you you just stop and say, "I feel a little dirty for watching this." And I feel a little dirty for enjoying, you know, these these people, but um, it's crazy. Anyways, let, let's talk something positive. And um, the on the horizon, baseball coming back. Take us back to maybe how, how you felt, um, you know, when the games ended over a month ago, uh, when everyone packed up um, spring training, what you thought maybe was in store and, and 
maybe how you feel now about what may be in store with baseball for 2020. Yeah, uh, my my first thought of what was in store is we have no idea. Uh, that my uh, based on the reactions I was getting day to day on the road that first week of March, like I went and did a game at Ohio State, a basketball game at Ohio State, and that was the first place I heard of NCAA conversations about having the NCAA tournament with no fans in the stands. And then we got to March 7th. I was in Bloomington for a basketball game at Indiana. And uh, one of our crew members' fathers was supposed to come to the game. And he decided to do it uh, against the advice of his son because he was he's in his 70s. And we were talking about that and whether or not his dad should have come to the game. And then I traveled to Brooklyn to do the Bulls and the Nets. And there were a bunch of conversations in the media room and a lot of hand washing. And I remember being in an elevator with like four people and standing very much in the corner. So uh, then I go to Indianapolis to do the Horizon League basketball tournament. And there's hand sanitizer everywhere. We had stopped shaking hands at that point. Uh, it was this, it's this escalation day to day of how it had gone and the, the um, sort of the world getting enveloped by this thing. And my first thought on baseball after the NBA stopped cold was, um, well, I I enjoyed it three days ago when the whole discussion was whether or not we were going to be in the clubhouse as media members this this year. Because I got a a text message on that Monday, I think, that was basically, um, hey, we're not going to be able to let you in the clubhouse early uh, or in spring training, I should say, but it might change as the season wears on. And then within three days, it got to our season. So I think I knew pretty early that I didn't know anything. Right now, I mean, to be totally frank, I'm kind of sick of people saying when they think the season's going to start. Mm-hmm. It is all about mass testing, contact tracing, and the science of the whole thing. Like, we need science to catch up, and they're working so hard at it. But anybody who tells you when the season's going to start or what plan's going to work and blah, it's like the Dow in the futures trading last night jumped 800 points because Gilead's treatment of an antiviral looked like it was working at UFC Hospital here in Chicago. Those are the signs we should be looking for. Like the whole narrative of sports depends on therapeutics to treat the drug or a vaccine to eradicate the uh, uh, treatments to treat the virus, I should say, or a vaccine to eradicate the virus. So uh, I, I just, I don't understand why people feel comfortable saying when a season's going to start. Again, it comes down to science. So I, I have no idea, and I'm happy to tell you I have no idea. With that being said about not knowing, and obviously everybody has like their own plan for what Major League Baseball should do, and there have been a lot of ones reported and floated around. Of the contingency plans that you've heard, which one do you believe, if any, is most realistic? Uh, it seems to me, Jason, that the most realistic would be the all-Arizona plan, uh, simply because you can put everybody in one place. And if there's if there's that much testing, number one, we've done our job in the country, uh, locally, federally, all of that. Uh, because the the science and the supply chain and everything's catching up, like we need to have all that testing. And if 
you know, the, the plan that came out that was Florida and Arizona, putting people in two places is just inherently tougher to wrangle than putting people in one place. So uh, based on what I've heard from Jeff Passon of ESPN, his reports, which have been awesome, uh, is that Arizona, all Arizona to start would be the plan. And then the hope would be everything in the country caught up scientifically so we could start having people in the stands. Their hope would be start in Arizona and in your own ballpark, if at all feasible. But we'll see. I got to tell you, it. it maybe it's just me. I'm not a player. Uh, if I was still covering the games, I, I don't know how I would feel about, uh, even if we were all quarantined together, uh, media members, team personnel, uh, players, uh, and, and team personnel, I don't think people realize how many that entails. Um, you know, you have uh, not only administrative, um, you know, game day operations people, uh, the medical staff, and now we're also talking about the players' families being with them to help in their the mental health approach of basically quarantining uh, all of these teams. That's an awful lot of people that you have to rely on each other to a follow all the rules and b they would have to constantly be checking every single one of those people throughout. It just to me seems crazy. It just seems crazy to me. Yeah, and then and then you multiply that by millions, and that's how we have to restart the country. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that—that's that's the part that I think people need to understand uh, who are listening to this is that's why we need testing. Like we need to have large scale testing in order for it to be safe for all of us to have an open economy Mm -hmm. because not knowing the risk, like if we didn't. So if you go to a blackjack table and you sit down and your first cards are a six and a five and the dealer has a five and you don't know the rules of blackjack, you might stay on 11 but you should double down on the 11. But if you knew exactly what cards were left, you'd be in even better shape. That's why people count cards at blackjack table. Here, we have no idea what the risk is to ourselves. We, we do everything we do based on the knowledge of what our risk is. And we don't know what the risk is if we don't have testing. So I, you know, I, I doubt that a lot of people are gonna go just like stream back into the world if we don't have testing. So that's why, Um, My other frustration is people criticizing baseball for having a plan. They've got to have some plan. I mean, they're doing what they can with what's in front of them to try to do what they've invested their lives to and play baseball. And so, yeah, there are a lot of possible criticisms of the plan. Breaking away from your family for four months is not a grand thing. Uh, Having to be in quarantine for four months is not a grand thing. But if we have large enough scale testing to get Major League Baseball back up and running, we have large enough scale testing to have the world back up and running. And that's what we're trying to do. Jason, just out of curiosity, because I, I saw an interview with you on one of the local news stations, and um, you you seemed um, frustrated, I don't know, angry, I don't know. Um, have you have you like gone through a range of emotions? Like I know Jason and I have... This is really hard on people, and when so much has been taken away from us, I think it's really normal to feel depression, and while we can point to other people and say, someone's got it worse than us, it 
doesn't um, take away the fact that we're still feeling very depressed at times, not having the things that we love like sports. Have you, have you gone through anything like that, a range of emotions? Uh, I don't know that I was angry. I think uh, the first two weeks were hard because I had been flying all over the country mm. and I had exposure like the bulls oh. and nets. I did that Sunday Four nets tested positive. So like I was around people from the Nets travel party and the Bulls travel party and we all were fine. But then I go to Indianapolis to a basketball game and uh, one of the women's coaches at the Horizon League tournament where I was, one of the women's basketball coaches tested positive. And then an official from our semifinal game involving USC, uh, UIC tested positive. Uh, so that official, I mm. believe it was that official, came over to the table in the second half to talk to us about something. So, like, oh. uh, if, if there was any frustration, oh. it was in that, like, I had just been out in the world. We were not really knowledgeable about mm -hmm. the disease, as happens in public health. It's not really frustration. It's just, like, wondering whether, like... At that point, we didn't really know what the symptoms were like. People were like, look out for a cough. Well, at the end of every basketball season, going into baseball, like I, I end up getting a cough just because I've used my voice so much. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking around like coughing in my home for 10 days, not knowing if it's going to become something worse and not even knowing what it looks like if it becomes something worse. So it's not, it's not frustration mm. uh, because there's, you know, I think the range of emotions we go through is because how we're affected by this is, is how our lives had been in the first place. Like what, what you've had happen to you in the past kind of colors, how you deal with this in uh, currently. So it's not, it's not frustration. It's, it's just more sadness mm. that, uh, that we weren't as ready for this uh, as we wish we would have been. And so, you know, I, I think I've gotten through that part simply because I ended up not having it. I took the antibody test with a bunch of the White Sox people on, on Monday because Major League Baseball was involved in that whole testing deal uh, because we have so many people from across the country. It's a good cross-section. And so, you know, I think as science catches up, there's less fear. I, I just, mm. like, part of what I'm trying to do is not, fear which evidently is a novel idea nowadays but like i i'm 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 trying to help people understand that like yeah there's if we gather data that would be a really that would be a really good thing yeah before we start talking about the white Sox and previewing the season let me just ask you, you do you think that we play baseball this year you think that there's going to be a season snowing out my window right now so that kind of sucks <laughs> uh uh i i would say again it's just like I don't know. It depends on science, but my yeah. my my gut instinct is based on actual facts that other baseball leagues in the world are playing now uh -huh. with empty stadia. So Taiwan is playing, and they have a baseball season going on. If they can do it, we can do it. So I'm not saying yes or no, but like. Other places are playing baseball, so I'm encouraged by that. And I'll just say, I think those videos are kind of funny almost, seeing the, the stands with like <laughs> zero fans, and it's all over Twitter. It's, but to be honest, I don't think, I remember at first when the NCAA tournament announced that there'd be no fans, 
all of my friends were so upset about it. They're like, it's not going to be the same. You know, half the half the fun of the NCAA tournament is like the crowds getting excited and, you know, all this stuff about U of I. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I, it, I, I just, all I care about is that there's there are going to be games. And at this point, I don't think that anybody would be upset to see games with no fans, see games in spring training parks. I don't think anybody cares. I just think that people want to play. So I think it's really interesting, personally, that we're at this point where we don't care how, we don't care why, we just want to see professional sports back. Yeah, I mean, it's just a normal thing. We've had it all our lives. It's there. I mean, it's it exists as we exist. So it feels like we're not existing when sports doesn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I have a different perspective on this because I did like nine years of minor league baseball before the majors, 10 years of, of minor league baseball. And sometimes on a Monday night in April, you go to a minor league town and there's nobody there. <laughs> and you still have to do the game. Like, I've done games where even in AAA, I've done games where we'll go to a ballpark on a Monday and it's, you know, the there's an NFL preseason game or something's going on elsewhere in the city. I've turned to my broadcast partner and been like, what time is it? And he goes, half an hour to game time. And I looked around. I had no idea the gates were open. Like, that's part of the deal in the minors is that there ain't nobody there sometimes. And, and they make their money on Fridays and Saturdays and some Thursdays and Sundays. But if it's if it's a rainy forty degree day in Name Your Town X on a Tuesday while school's still going out, who's going? Like, but, <laughs> but they still paid me to do the game because some people are listening. So yeah, like I would say to everybody who says, "Well, it's not the same," and I know, like, hot take theater. There are going to be some writers like, "I wish sports had crowds." Yeah, I you know, I wish I could. Uh, raise a string and bring the moon down to the earth but i can't so like you know we we kind of have to deal with what we got so like to the to the people who complained about saturday night live a week ago being on zoom get over it right honestly like get a light right like i really feel that way i feel very strongly like these creative people who have professionally tried to make you laugh for the entirety of their lives can't go into their studio they make a makeshift version and you say eh right like, well then keep it to yourself i know I mean, honestly they're true like <laughs> this is where i'm angry like get over it. it get a life like get a life get a life uh, we're trying here let, let let's let's talk a little white Sox baseball so i, I was trying to figure out jason um how is this, is this going to help some guys? I, I bet it's going to be like a 50-50. The time off will help guys who are injured and had these little, you know, um, aches and pains, maybe not full-out injuries, um, a handful of guys with the White Sox. It could help them having the time off. Um, developmentally, though, when they need to see innings and they need to see at-bats, uh, it, it could hurt them. But every team's going to be in the same boat what do you what do you think? How will the time off affect the game? Depends on how long. Mm. Uh, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I was uh, we, I did an interview with Ricky Renteria the other day, and somebody had sent in a question about Michael Kopech and and his injury and rehabbing, and you would imagine that would help the Sox, but then we don't know what some time off from the regular regimen of 
Tommy John recovery does to Tommy John injuries. Like I, my, my, uh, what I'll say is I don't really know exactly what I'm living right now. And the players are living like Tim Anderson. Uh, I was talking to him for a thing, the White Sox and I did uh, last week. And, you know, his, or this week, whatever week it is. Uh, <laughs> yikes. It was, it was 2018. Uh, Tim, Tim said that what he's doing most baseball wise is walking by a mirror and mimicking his swing. Huh. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? So there's all of this research that goes into baseball and how to accurately prepare athletes for a season. And now you can't do any of it. So now it's about, again, science drives so much of this. It's about figuring out a way to get people to do what they were going to do in an approximate way now. So, I mean, I think if you had Rick Hahn on the show, he'd say, I don't know. And so if I, if I tell you something that is at all concrete, I, I would call me a charlatan too. But I think that's going to be the intrigue of baseball mm-hmm. this season if we play is we have this whole set of new data points of what it does to players. And then also what's baseball going to do with the rules? I think it's a great experimental time for baseball to just go ahead and say, you know what, let's try a bunch of these things that we didn't know if we were going to like or not and uh, have some fun with it. Oh, that's a good point. Of the new additions at the White Sox, added Grandal, Encarnacion, Keiko, which one do you think, once we get back to playing, is going to make the biggest immediate and overall impact? Uh, Grandal, because uh, he is a two-way guy, and he's so dedicated to the art form of catching and helping the pitchers based on the research I've done and what he said publicly and what the Sox has said to me. Uh, I would say Grandal would be that guy, and the other two would are going to be important to a Sox team this year for sure, for sure. But Grandal, because of everything he does, I would say would be a number one. So I I heard or I read somewhere um, uh, some some questioning uh, whether the White Sox truly this could be a year for them that maybe their luck was last year. And I remember looking back when they won the World Series and listen, every team you need luck to go with some breakout years. The Sox had a lot of luck last year, but a lot of guys coming into their own. They're young enough yet where they were not, they're not yet, uh, you're not looking at saying, oh, this was a career year for them because they're so young. Um, is there any concern that, that luck may have been on their side last year? Well, what I, would you say is attributed to luck? I just want to answer to make sure that I'm, I'm aiming at the right place. I think that people look and say um, a lot of guys had got a lot of good bounces. A lot of guys um, saw, you know, whether it was a career year out of Tim Anderson um, at the plate um, that, you know, oh, yeah, but that's not the type of players they really are. It's all you're going to see that, you know, yeah. they're not as good as, you know, everyone thinks. They yes, are. but but um, what I would say is that happens every year with every team that yep. dies jump their uh, previous stats that's what development is so uh i just think that that level of pessimism is not something i'm equipped to deal with while i'm indoors quarantining <laughs> uh, it's just it's just not ideal for anybody uh and i would say that tim anderson like knowing what i know about tim just taking him as a specific year knowing what i know about tim he did a lot in terms of his preparation and understanding of major league pitchers last year. And this is not me revising history. 
he told me that week one of the season last year in the Sox clubhouse that he had just finally thought that he had started to catch up with the studying process and watching film very uh, specifically. And he just felt like a different dude coming into last year. And some guys say it and other guys pay it off. So I think what Tim has built in as a foundation for himself is way sturdier than some people think. I, I, he, his batting title uh, may not be replicated, but the, the fulfillment of his talent that we saw last year will, and it's not going to necessarily be a high batting average, but it'll be other things as well. I think, I think he's super motivated to be a, a, not only a baseball player, but a civic institution in Chicago. And with that wind behind your sails, uh, I, I think he's going to be really tough to stop. Who's going to be this season's Tim Anderson? Somebody that people aren't necessarily talking about is becoming one of the big stars on the White Sox. Well, you know, I've been working out in my kitchen with a bat. Uh, (laughs) I would say uh, Luis Robert uh, would be the first thing off the top of my head because we just haven't seen him, and I think people are going to be wowed by his athleticism. But Eloy Jimenez, in the second half of the season, looked like a different guy than he did in April and May. And we all know about his talents and his skill and his uh, brutish power. But I think he figured out major league pitching at a point well beyond where he was when he first started. So I think the second season of Eloy Jimenez is going to be a, a huge year for the Sox. So if he can be a breakout star even after everything he did last year, I think Eloy Jimenez would be the first place I'd go with that. Which area of the team, whether it be the rotation, the bullpen, the lineup, absolutely needs to improve from last season in order for this team to win? I like talking like specific baseball questions because it makes me think we're going to play soon. <laughs> and I like being in that headspace. Um, the, it would be the rotation simply because Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez obviously have talent. And it's a matter of figuring out how to harness that for both of them. Uh, Lopez going into this season, I had heard from some Sox players who he had worked out with in the offseason had been much improved, they thought. They thought they were going to get a very different Reynaldo Lopez. Uh, And then Dylan Cease is such a thoughtful young man. He studies the art of pitching and the art of just being calm on the mound. And his level of understanding and mental acuity uh, is going to make him a good pitcher one day. So I, I think it would be the rotation because of those two guys that, you know, there are some question marks around. Um, but, uh, you know, and Gio Gonzalez gets added and he's an innings eater. So I think he'll help in that regard. But when it comes to question marks, I would say that's where it exists the most because offensively the Sox are going to have a very deep lineup whenever this thing goes. All right, Jason, here's my specific baseball question. When it comes down to timing in the broadcast booth, how are you and Stoney going to be able to pick up the timing with so much time uh, spent apart? Uh, We have a Google Doc where we script our ad libs. (laughs) uh, I have been talking pretty regularly uh, while this is going on, and I mean, the thing about that is the first game we did, and this is probably the biggest honor of my career to be able to say that this happened, 
is that the first game we did in spring training in 2016, people said it sounded like we've been doing it for years together. So if we can't pick up the timing now after this pause, uh, we just lost a step. And I'm too young to have lost a step. And <laughs> he looks like, I mean, he's, he's in his 70s and he looks like he's 50. So I don't think any of us is, is uh, in that booth is losing a step anytime soon. No, and all relationships need a little bit of a break sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a whole off season, but evidently somebody in the fate thought we needed more. All right. Okay, last question. Um, my plan, career plan, is to become a broadcaster. I'm going to school for it next year. I'm really excited, but... I don't know necessarily what I'm getting into. So if you were to have to give one piece of advice for a budding sports broadcaster, what would it be? It would be this, um, that uh, the the whole goal is to every time you go do something, get better at it. So when I go do a game, I will watch a piece of it and take stock of my tempo and tone and what I said in this situation and my preparation and all that. And if I can make some small part of it better the next day over the course of 162 baseball games, I just get better and better and better. That's the hope. So what I would say to any young announcer is whatever part of this you love to do, sit at home and do it. And when there are no games, sit at home, do it, talk sports, do play by play, whatever you want to do, do it. But also seek out the advice of people you think are good and people you think are good for specific reasons. So don't just go blanket the world and say, well, I know this person's name. I want their advice. Because if you study them like like musicians do, like every musician has inspiration. And so they start to sound a little like that musician. Study people who you like, figure out what they do well, and then ask them questions about it if you can get access to them. Because, And then have them listen to your stuff. And then once you send them your stuff, don't just ask them to listen so they can tell you you're good. Like quite often when I was younger, I would send tapes to people and say, hey, can you critique this? And then they'd write me back with something critical and I'd be like, yeah, you're a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what I asked them for. Right. Like I, you can say you want harsh critique. But then you get it and you actually wanted them to tell you that you're good. It's like it's like wanting to find a Wonka golden ticket. Like you want them to tell you you're good and you're worthy, uh, which is very important. Like people telling you that at a young age is very important. But also good specific critical advice is terribly important as well that you take. And then your next tape you go do actually try to implement that. If somebody tells you, hey, slow down. I would say go to the next tape and go even slower than you think they mean to try to overcorrect. So then you can send it to them and say, how about that? You know, not that you can send people tapes every day, but uh, kind of figuring out that your own development comes from making small tweaks in everything you do every day. See, that's the kind of that that's what we miss out of Jason Benetti, the storytelling. <laughs> Seriously, um, check out Jason on Twitter at Jason Benetti on Instagram at true Jason Benetti. And Jason, we look forward to seeing you again soon in the baseball booth with the White Sox and on ESPN again soon. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Peggy, Jason, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Even though Jason Benetti said, don't look ahead, quit trying to predict when baseball is going to come back because none of us really know. Um, As of this taping, April 2020, give me a couple of predictions. Okay, my first prediction, 
is we've talked about betting before on this podcast. I'm going to say that the NFL draft is the most highly get betted on, for lack of a better word, non-sport game in history. I think that people are going to have something where they have the opportunity to put money on it. There's so many prop bets. Everybody's listing them, and I think that it's a product of the fact that there are no sports because the gambling industry and the sports industry as a whole is so down. So I think that that's going to be the highest grossing non-game gambling-wise ever. Wow, another one. Last podcast we talked about when I think that everything's going to get back to normal. I still I think that the first sport that's going to be back is golf. I think that PGA is going to start playing in June, and I think it's going to be a while before anything else happens after um, and then third prediction, lighthearted, I think we get college football this year. I, I just think that, that the NCAA lost way too much money with canceling the tournament. So by canceling college football, so many schools would have to go under. I just I think that once we get max test, mass text, testing uh, and uh, contact tracing, I think that college football is going to happen. All right, my final thoughts, and I'm going to try to make this quick and um, yet very heartfelt because this is something that um, happened to me personally during a COVID-19 shelter at home. I made a list saying these are the things, my goals I was going to do while we had shelter in place. And at the top of my list was be a better friend because I'm really bad at calling people. I don't like talking on the phone. I have I do like Zoom just because I feel like I'm more with them. Um, I so I like that. And at the top of my list, and it was a long list of people that I needed to to call and to touch base with and to say hello to. Uh, was one of my dearest friends, Mora Mant. Mora and I started at ESPN together in the '80s, and we were both um, production assistants and. We had a ton of ideas and we shared our dreams together and we drove John Walsh, who was running the newsroom at the time, we drove him crazy because we were constantly going in his office with uh, story ideas and show ideas. And um, recently I was with Maura in New York and uh, she had found the boxes of all of our our notebooks that uh, was filled with all of the emails we had sent to John Walsh uh, with all of of our ideas. And we were, we sat on the couch, we were laughing, we're looking at everything. Maura and I went on to work the Olympics together and we traveled together. She moved on to New York. I came back to Chicago, became a sports uh, broadcaster here in Chicago uh, for 25 years. Uh, Maura became an incredibly successful documentary producer and the producer of the ESPYs. Uh, Maura just did it all on her own. She went after it. And we both took different career paths, but we always had this common bond of where we started together in broadcasting. And we would talk maybe once a year and maybe see each other every couple of years, but she was still one of my dearest, dearest friends. And when I started calling her in September, October, I I wasn't getting any response. And I thought, oh, okay, that's not a big deal. She's probably working on the SBs and that happens all the time. Dropped her another line over the holidays, uh, did not hear back from her. And then in, uh, I traveled a lot in January. Jason, we were uh, going to UT Austin for your college visit um, at the, we were planning at the end of February, the first week of March. And um, I was in Comunicado. And 
you know, about a month went by. And then I was like, gosh, I never got in touch with more. I need to call more again. Well, during COVID-19 shelter at place, uh, I started getting worried because I, I hadn't heard back from her in a few months. And I Googled her and found out that she had passed away. And this was heartbreaking to me. Heartbreaking because I knew I should have called her sooner. I knew that we had such a a dear friendship that even though we may not see each other or talk for many months, we always picked up right where we left off. And it was heartbreaking because something kept telling me to call her. And I never followed through as hard as I should have. Um, I am so grateful that I was able to talk to her brother, Michael, and he was able to tell me, um, you know, they thought about me and they thought for sure I would have known, but I got so busy and caught up in my own life. And I missed one of the most heartbreaking moments in my life, and that was the death of one of my dearest friends. So I implore, implore you, if you are a shelter in place, If you are not shelter in place, if you have free reign, pick up the phone, call your loved ones, tell people you love them, listen to your gut, listen to your instinct before it's too late. Our thanks to Jason Benetti for joining us on this uh, podcast. And you can find him on Twitter at Jason Benetti, on Instagram at True Jason Benetti. And you will be able to see him, we hope soon, in the White Sox broadcast booth as well. Uh, our thanks to WGN Television for the Jerry Reinsdorf interview on Chicagoland TV. And uh, Jason, who else should we thank? Uh, we want to thank the people on the front lines of COVID-19, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, paramedics, police, and firemen, grocery store workers, delivery men and women, those people in the news industry, TV, radio, and newspapers who are keeping us informed. Thank you, Adam Yaffe, also for your support, your expertise, and artwork and logo were designed by Shay Canander. You can subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen, really. And if you love the show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. You can find my stories on Fansided, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the sportscasterandherson.com. Thank you all for listening. Be safe, everyone. So long. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.